You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 98 called EdTech that supports the blended learning classroom. These days, most of us use some form of blended learning, whether you know it or not, but are we using it the best way possible? In this episode, we'll dive deep into this exciting world by taking a look at some of our favorite EdTech tools that support a variety of blended learning models. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. Ninety-eight. We're two away from the three digits. Feels good. I'm I'm pretty happy about it. You want to know something else that I'm really happy about? What's that? Our last episode, episode ninety-seven. It was on gamification. So many people have reached out. Whether it's on social media, I got a couple phone calls about it. I didn't know how that one was going to be uh, received. I mean, we did it two and a half years ago, three years ago, and we decided to revisit it with some new stuff, and it was well-received. Yeah, especially because we, you, you know, you guys probably can't tell just listening, but it was a tough one to record. We had, like, multiple, like, school, I guess not lockdowns, but we call them freeze drills where everybody's got to stay in place and, you know, trying to, if you listen really deep in the background, you might even hear some alarms going off. It was, it was a lot. We had, you know, emails flying in mid-record that we tried to add in to the beginning of the show. Another little nod there to Charity Dodd. But it all came together, and it was a really great episode. And I kind of think, at least I hope, uh, that this episode can sort of live uh, live out there in the podcasting universe in the same way. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I wanted to start off and kind of bring up a question that I've been thinking about and I've heard some other people asking about recently uh, having to do with sort of this post-pandemic world that we're all teaching in now and how blended learning fits in. Really, the question to consider, I think, is are we all experts now? I've been asking myself this as I've been doing some blended learning stuff uh, recently with some of my chemistry students. Uh, if you guys are you know, longtime listeners of the show, you might know that I do a lot of flipped classroom stuff. And am I better at it than I used to be? Uh, are we all better at incorporating blend learning than we used to be. I don't think it's a clear, I don't think it's a clear answer. There's some things that are definitely yes, that I know for me, at least I'm better at. Some things also definitely no, right? We can't probably put it in either camp for sure. I'm going to disagree. I think that we are collectively as a whole better at blended learning. We're better at using ed tech. We're better at finding resources that allow us to be more successful in our classroom. And that's thanks to COVID-19. That, that's my opinion. Teachers, we have this innate mindset where as we get better, we raise the bar behind us. So even though it seems like we're not as good or maybe we're just equally as good or we, I mean, that bar has been raised. And that's, that's my, my view on it. As a district here, we have gotten better. Uh, we now know new teaching strategies that we can dip into whenever we want. But, like I said, the bar keeps being raised. As we conquer that bar, we're constantly raising it. And that's, that's my argument. 
That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because teachers generally do that, right? We, we figure something out, we get good at something, and then what do you start doing? You start looking around for the next thing. So maybe that's what I'm doing too. I can tell you though, maybe what I was thinking about this question, I, I have noticed something I've not before, and that is maybe what I'll call a little bit of blended learning or technology burnout on behalf of my students. Just recently, I usually get a great reaction from the flipped classroom. They seem to prefer that over like a traditional, hey guys, come in today and there's a 15, 20 minute lecture. They like it better when they can get that out of the way at home. But recently, um, there was a little bit of moaning and groaning associated with the beginning of a flipped classroom unit, which I, I honestly haven't seen before. And it, I haven't gotten deep enough into, uh, you know, into that class to kind of figure out what that's about or if it's maybe just like a few kids who are a little more vocal about not enjoying the watching of the videos. Um, so I'm probably gonna have more to share on that in the you know in the coming episodes once I sort of figure out what the issue is, if there even is one. But I think that's really what sparked that. So maybe uh, maybe part of this question too is, you know, the from the student side, what do, what do they need and how can we sort of back off areas of tech that are getting overused a little bit and then remembering that all important thing for education and that is just to sort of keep changing it up making sure that things are varied for them i think that's a good reflection out of you uh, I, I i understand where you're coming from i understand where the students are coming from i mean when we do blended learning it's a little bit more independent learning they have to guide themselves through stuff and you know what? Sometimes students just want to be told what to do. And oftentimes I associate that with the honors and AP level. Sometimes they like that, that form of lecture just to give them the confidence they need to be independent on some of this, these uh, tougher topics. So I, I understand that. But it's our job as teachers to understand our students and what makes them learn the best way. And it's our job to conform our teaching practice into what's going to make the greater good successful. So that's that's my two cents on that. I think uh, now we should probably get into our main segment here, which is blended learning. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at we got teched. Uh, first, maybe we should go over a definition. Yeah, that's a great idea. I always like to start at the bottom with stuff like this. And it, it, the definition for blended learning is, is weird, and we've seen it evolve so much over the past five years or so, maybe even longer now. So the one that we've got for you guys today is sort of like a, an amalgam, a combination of all those. It is an approach to education, if you whatever you want to call that, right? A meth methodology or, or whatever the word is. It's a, it's a teaching style. It's an approach. And what it does really is that it just kind combines some form of online educational materials. That's probably the simplest way to say it. Um, within these online educational materials, we're gonna have opportunities for interaction online that sort of mix in with a traditional you know, face-to-face -face or school-based or place-based classroom. Um, that's one of the things I always liked about it is that I can sort of keep feeling like the teacher. I'm still in school, in person, building those relationships. We're just mixing in or blending in the technology. So it does require the physical presence of both the teacher and the student, um, but we just have some elements that give the students control 
over like the amount of time they take on things, the uh, place where they do things. So in school or at home, it's kind of up to them. If you're really good, they can even have control over the path that they take to master certain objectives. And um, yeah, I think that's our, I think that's a pretty solid definition, right? Yeah, I think that's a solid definition. Uh, I always like when they throw a brick and mortar into it. I'm going to say it's the, we're, we're expanding our boundaries from the brick and mortar to include other avenues of learning outside of the classroom. So that, that's, that's my favorite part of the definition. Yep. And that's, um, you know, that's like what it is. We also wanted to really just quickly mention some of the models that are out there, because obviously if you're just going to define something as sort of blending in online learning or blending in online instruction or resources, that could take a hundred different forms and it certainly does but people of course have tried to categorize those forms some of the more common ones that i don't think we really have to even explain are like flipped classroom students viewing digital content at home or anywhere really but prior to class uh, station rotations where they might rotate around different stations and some of those stations maybe even all of them but at least some of them have some sort of online learning component um I was going to call this one of the older models. I'm not sure if that's fair, though. But uh, one of the ways you can do it is with the computer lab model, where it's the class spends certain days somewhere else in a computer lab. I, I like to call that one the endangered model, because I feel like with the ongoing presence in, of the one-to-one -one classroom, where we have some type of device for, for each student, the computer labs, the traditional computer labs are going away except for maybe some graphics or engineering courses. Uh, but for the most part, very endangered there. Uh, station rotation, you talked about that. That's my favorite one out of all of this. I feel like one of the things I was always taught, and this is, it's been almost 20 years since I graduated, 15, 15, 20, somewhere in there, since I graduated college, but they always said, keep your students moving more than 10 feet in their, or 10 minutes in their seat, uh, they start losing stuff. You lose them. They're looking out the window, checking out the squirrels. Uh, I was guilty of that, definitely. But station rotation allows you to get them moving, having different types of learning going on. Maybe they're listening to one thing. They go to a new station. They're reading something there. They go to another one. They're looking at a graph or a picture or whatever it may be. So that's my favorite one. Uh, let's get into a couple others. The first one that I'll go over is the flex model. And this is primarily done online with a teacher present for check-ins and support. Uh, so in this case, the teacher doesn't even need to be in the same room. Think of a cyber school or something like that. Uh, the next one is the face-to-face -face drive model. It's like a normal class, except some students can use online support when needed. And then the last one, another solid one uh, that I, I really enjoy because, uh, well, let's just get into it and then I'll tell you why I enjoy it. Universal Design for Learning, also known as UDL. As I said at the top of the, the segment, uh, it's the teacher's job to figure out how their students tick and how they learn the best way. And the Universal Design for Learning does just that. You figure out how your students learn the best and then you give them the option to learn that way. So in that case, we have to, as teachers, we have to be a master of a lot of resources to support a lot of kids very differently. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'll add too that I'm not exactly sure if uh, universal design for learning counts 
as blended learning. I think it does, but if you're like a UDL purist, you might be pretty angry at us right now for putting it in that category. Um, I don't know, what do you think about that? I think you gotta consider it when you're, when you're designing your lessons, using these different models, you always have to consider UDL. And I think that's why it's worth mentioning here. I wouldn't say it's a, a form of blended learning itself, but it definitely contributes to the success of blended learning. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. But you, you can obviously let us know if you feel differently. To me, it just seems like it fit in there. And I think that's this is now a good time for us to get into actually some of the ed tech. So uh, as we typically do, we're going to list out uh, as many different types of ed tech as we could think of trying to find some new things that we haven't talked about a whole lot before. Although we are going to bring up some old things as well because they're just really good when it comes to blended learning. Uh, we've put them in a bunch of categories like curation, screencasting, QR codes, discussions, playlists, interactive pictures, choice boards, digital lessons and videos, and then some feedback. Um, and I'm sure there's more. That's one of the toughest parts about something like blended learning is it's such a huge space. Uh, so this is just our, our best version of trying to put it all together. Um, let's kick it off with the first category we thought of, and that is curating resources. So I think what I'll do is sort of just read off the things that we came up with, uh, read off those tools, and then maybe pick through them and talk about some of our favorite ones. Uh, so the first one, of course, we've got Wakelet. Most of you should be familiar with Wakelet. If you're not, it's a really great curation tool. Uh, Feedly is another less common one, Feedly. Uh, we've also got Pocket and Flipboard and Paper.li and Scoop.it, as well as, of course, the classic uh, YouTube, maybe the ultimate curation tool, and then Google Sites. So I, you know, my favorite one out of this list for me uh, is at the top of the list, Wakelet, of course. It's just so easy. It's such a, a simple tool. If you don't know it, you create essentially sort of like a Pinterest board style thing, but you can add any resource you want there and have this shared out with your students. It can be collaborative with your students. So you can ask them to contribute to resources that then are viewable by everybody. Um, I think Wakelet is the most popular on this list for good reason. It's very, very user-friendly. It, it looks great and it's super easy to use when it comes to putting resources together for your class. Yeah, when I think of blended learning, I think blended learning transforms the teacher into the guide on the side rather than the sage on the stage. It's an old comment, but you know what, I'm gonna use it because it does work. And this is where the teacher is in charge of support, feedback, and the curation of resources. And that's why I put curation at the top of this list. Uh, some of the ones that Nick didn't really go over, but I think are worth a deeper dive. You have Feedly, Pocket, and Flipboard, Paper Li, and Scoop It. All those are going to give you some type of way of getting personalized content to yourself, whether it's, uh, say we want to look up technology, what's new in technology in the world, we could go in there and we can organize and categorize certain articles and save it to our, our feedly or our pocket or whatever and use those for later. And Wakelet is a good ending spot for these articles. It's a way to easily share it out to your students. But I'd, I, I'd be feeling absolutely horrible if sometimes we just scoop past YouTube and Google Sites, those two are amazing. I mean, 
we are able to make playlists with YouTube. So you can go out and pick the 10 videos that either you made or a combination of what you made and other people, put them into a playlist, share out that one link for the playlist, and your students have these awesome resources in one spot. You could also embed these YouTube videos into a Google Sites along with all your other uh, resources that you need, maybe guided notes, maybe labs, other things that you may need for that course in a Google Sites. So curation is a big component of blended learning because we are putting the autonomy for learning into the students' hands. We're guiding them through a topic, but they're learning the way that they want and they're learning with a lot of resources. So we need to be pros at how we can stay organized and find a lot of resources to support our students. Yep, that's uh, that's really important to point out there. And I, I, another reason we kind of are skipping through those very quickly is they're all very similar. So, you know, you can pick any one of those, like scoop.it. Um, it's going to do pretty much the same thing as the rest, just with very slight differences. You know, for Scoop in particular, as you're browsing things online, and this can be anything, it can be stuff you find on social media, so an Instagram post that you like. It can be web content, so articles. It could even just be people. So like users, uh, if there's someone on TikTok you follow, you can bring all that stuff together in one place, put it on one page, and then share that out. So that's, you know, that's scoop.it's deal and in the rest of those things as well. Pretty much all do the same same stuff. So if this is something you're trying to do for your class, you can just kind of check them out and decide which one you like best. But I am glad you pointed out YouTube because uh, that's kind of, you know, it's like a it's a classic. And honestly, out of all those, it's the one I use more than anything else. So maybe that's worth saying. Next up, we've got screencasting. I don't want to talk a whole lot about your typical screencast tools, especially post-pandemic. You know, we've all used Screencastify at this point, at least most of us. Um, I'll throw out my favorite one still, Screencast-O-Matic, just maybe a little more robust version of Screencastify. Loom is pretty popular with certain people as well. What I thought might be cool to share is that I've just been noticing there's a whole lot of other tools that are building in their very own screen casting components, um, which which is great. It really, it's gonna make it easier for us and let you streamline things even more. So if you're a user of WeVideo, um, something that uh, maybe your school pays for so you can get access to all of the amazing video editing stuff that you can do there, well, WeVideo also has a screencast recorder. So you can screencast straight into WeVideo and then edit it right then and there. Super easy. Uh, one that I just discovered is uh, Edpuzzle. Edpuzzle is another really great tool just for blended learning in general, where you can take a YouTube video and sort of mark certain points in the video where it stops playing and the kids have to answer a question. It keeps track of their progress and how much they've watched and how long it took and what they've re-watched. Well, with Edpuzzle, you can now create your own content with their very own screencasting tool and then a, a, a call out to last episode, Descript.com, another very, very unique video editor that has um, its own screencasting tool built in. And I'm sure there's more. I just think it's cool that these individualized tools are building in their own ways to do that. Yeah, one thing I like about that is if they're building this into their already 
mentioned or already established tool that does something really awesome, maybe that's making it more affordable for schools and for individuals to purchase that tool. Because now they don't need to buy two different tools, and now they have one tool that's going to do the same thing. Yeah, because another part of screencasting is you've got the video you want your students to watch. How do you get it to them? What do you do with it? You know, if, if Edpuzzle is becoming an all-in-one where you can go there, record your very own content, and then push it out to the kids with embedded questions and a, you know, that their typical tools like keeping track of how much they've seen and how much time they spent, I don't need anything else. And, and why would I jump around between three different tools and uploading and downloading when I can just do it all right in that one thing? I think that's great. Uh, there are some third-party uh, websites and, and other things out there, other apps like Sophia is, is a, one of the first ones that we tried when we first started with Flipped Classroom where you can post a video and it will sort of help you keep track of which students have watched it and how much they've watched and then you can embed questions. So sort of like a similar thing to what Edpuzzle does, you can throw Edmo Edmodo onto that list too. Um, you know, screencasting, it's, it's just my favorite. It's my favorite. I like to make my own stuff, but that's, you know, that's me. If I go to YouTube, I don't, if I, I can find somebody else's video on something, but I like my version better. So I love that all these external tools are, are building in their own ways to do it. I think it's, I think it's really awesome. Yeah, and I think this brings up a good time to go into our next one, which is one that is kind of making a resurgence. I feel like it came out super popular then kind of went away and now it's coming back again and that's QR codes so you could go over to QR code generator that's my favorite one to use you can make others now there are tons of these out there some will put little icons in the middle of them and and all that good stuff but uh, yeah QR code generator will allow teachers to do simple things within their station rotations uh, within blended learning such as provide uh, directions Think of how many times, especially in the blended learning model, we're not, oftentimes we have everybody in different spots working on different activities at the same time. So why not make a 30 second video explaining the directions? That way they could just scan it if they're confused when they get there, they can just watch it and rewatch it if they have to, and then they know what they're doing. And then you're not getting bombarded with 30 students coming up at different times asking, well, what am I supposed to do here again? Instead, you say it one time in front of the camera, and then from there, if there are any clarifying questions, you know, you could go over, but more than likely, they're watching it as a group. So there's five brains there that are going to help decipher these directions if they're really that complicated. I also like to use QR codes to provide hints. It doesn't need to be a video. You can make a PDF and have a couple hints on there. When they scan it, it comes, that PDF comes up. You could do a message. It could just be a couple words, uh, A before E except after C. You could put that and it's a QR code, post it and you know, that's enough there that that could trigger learning, uh, the learning gap to be closed there for that particular misconception or problem. And the last thing is feedback. Uh, we could use QR codes for feedback. So for example, if at a station, there's a multiple choice question. And I'm not just talking one that they're gonna be able to regurgitate. They have to go through and apply themselves to get an answer. If they pick C there, 
they would scan the QR code next to C and it could say, nope, this is not the correct answer. Uh, and then they could give them maybe a resource that's going to help them go back, review it, and then fix the mistake that they had. So those are three ways that you could use QR codes within the station rotation. You can also do a QR code scavenger hunt, which could be another blended learning opportunity. They don't need to do the whole scavenger hunt in class. They could do some parts of it at home. So maybe there's 15 parts to the scavenger hunt over a couple days, and there are certain QR codes that are green that are ones that they do at home, and all the red ones are done at school, and all the purple ones could be done wherever they want to do them. All right, so now you have a scavenger hunt based on QR codes, and really all it is is a glorified playlist almost. Or if they only have to choose three or five of the 15 activities, then it's a more of a choice board in QR code form. Yeah, I love I love it. The scavenger hunt is so fun. I still use QR codes for scavenger hunts and, and, and maybe in a general sense too. I thought I was gonna be done with QR codes after last year when I fully digitized everything. Well, now that all the students are back in school, I still have kids who prefer to print things out. It's not a lot, but some of them do. They'll actually show up to class every day with whatever we are gonna be working on in Google Doc form, they want the piece of paper in front of them and they take it upon themselves to go print that off in advance. I think it's great, but if they're doing that, then a lot of the links that I have embedded in my Google Doc, they can't necessarily get access to. So I've started putting my QR codes back in my worksheets. So whichever form you're looking at this document, if it's on the computer, you can just click the link if you have printed it out, then you can still use your phone to scan the QR code and get access to that resource. So it's kind of maybe the perfect example of doing what tech does so well, which is you set all this stuff up one time and then it's there to just be used by students in whatever, whatever path they choose. So kind of like a nice little example of really how blended learning and, and tech are supposed to go together. So that's QR codes, really important to bring up and definitely not going away. We've also got a bunch of discussion tools here. Discussions so hard to do, um, even harder when you try to start building in technology. Uh, but I think, at least for me, the technology can actually make it easier, can help set the discussion up in such a way that it goes more smoothly. One of the ones that I like to mention for discussions is Edgy, where you can post some kind of a reading, you know, some text like an article or even just an image, and the students leave comments on it and they can comment on each other's comments. This is a really nice sort of, sort of like a digital setup to maybe an in-person discussion that takes place or a small group discussion to come afterwards once they've gotten all their initial responses out on that uh, edgy reading. Uh, Jamboard, of course, is, is excellent for this too. You can post different thought-provoking questions or, or you know just things you want them to respond to on each board of the Jamboard and then they go through and, and leave sticky notes or text boxes or pictures or, or whatever. And I like when we do this, uh, we kind of like to, you know, give the kids some time to respond on each board and then actually project those boards, those completed boards in class and we can all just look at them. And that then spurs the conversation that happens while you're sitting there. And it takes a lot of the pressure off of a typical discussion. 
Um, three others that I'll bring up sort of all at once, and I'll tell you which one I like best afterwards. I don't know, maybe there's two I like best. But uh, they, they are Kialo with a K, that's K-I-A-L-O. Kialo now comment in Yo Teach. So maybe my two favorites out of there, Kialo is really awesome if you're doing any kind of classroom debate. Again, something that can be very challenging. You've really got to make sure the students are prepared and know what's going on. Kialo can sort of help make that happen digitally where they get to sort of, or you can host part of this debate in the digital space. So it gets rid of issues like talking over each other, making sure that everybody has some time to share their opinion. You know, certain kids can get lost in that debate and Kialo gets rid of that. And then there's even assessment tools built in to make sure that each student has done what you've asked them to as part of that debate so you can keep them accountable. Kialo's really awesome. And then if you just want something simple, YoTeach, you can't beat it. You go there, it's free, you make a room, it gives you a pin, and then the students go there as well, entering that pin, and then you're they're in your room and you can just conduct the discussion from there. So I think YoTeach gets it for simplicity, Kialo gets it for their unique attention to this debate space. And uh, go check out Now Comment if you don't like either of those. I, I think that's a solid list for discussions. Uh, I know that is probably one of the hardest skills for new teachers and for existing teachers to keep up with. Because in order for a good discussion to happen, you really have to know your students. You have to know their interests. And uh, when you are able to bring in their interests into your classroom and connect it to content. I, th I feel like that's the greatest way to make a discussion. So we'll go into our next one, uh, which is playlists. And we only listed one here. Uh, there's You can make a playlist on a Google slide. You can make a playlist on a Google doc. You can make a hyper hyperlink or uh, hyper doc, I mean, uh, to do the playlist kind of feel towards everything but the one that we list for playlists is TES Teach. It used to be called Blend Space. I actually like Blend, State, Blend Space better but they changed the name to TES Teach. It allows you to work just within that platform to come up with a playlist or, or a set of learning events that happen. So if you picture a 3 by 3 grid or a box in the first box, you might put an introductory article. What you could do in TES Teach is you could search Google right from their, help me out, Nick, from their platform. Is, yep. that, is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yep. So they could search right within the uh, platform for articles on, you know, the longest baseball game or whatever. So if our, our whole activity was based on America's pastime baseball, they can search different resources within Google, right within TES Teach, and then all they have to do is drag these resources into each box. So maybe they're looking at a picture for the first one, the second one is a song, the third one's an article, the fourth one is a video, uh, and the last one is just you, you put in some guided questions that they have to come up with responses to based on the prior 14 boxes that they, they looked at. Not each box needs to be its own separate activity. That could be just one activity, but just 14 resources that they're looking with. So there's an argument for curation here too. 
Yep, I like, uh, I don't think you can go wrong with TES Teach and it's probably why it's the only one we put on there. Obviously you could drop a bunch of links into a Google Doc as well, but uh, with TES Teach you get a lot of other tools that go along with it. Plus it just looks nicer. For the From the student experience, it kind of feels a little bit more engaging and I, I like it the best for that reason. Sort of along those same lines, although maybe not, I'm not sure. Interactive pictures is what we called this next one where you've got an image and it is interactive. So the kids can click on different areas of that image to learn about that thing. Maybe the end all be all of this is a tool called ThingLink. It's one of our classic favorites where you can upload a picture of your choosing. Let's just say for this example, a map. And on that map, you can drop little, uh, little pins or whatever they call them. And then when that gets shared out to the student, they hover their mouse over those little pins that you have dropped on the image. And when they click on it, it gives them a resource so they can learn more about that thing. Or if you're a chemistry teacher, you could put in a picture of a molecule and you've marked different areas of the molecule and they can click on them to learn about what's going on in that part of the molecule in terms of the bonding or the shape or whatever it is you want to teach. Um, they're even doing all kinds of really cool stuff right now with like 3D spaces. So you can take a 3D image and do the same thing so that you can actually navigate around in a three-dimensional kind of virtual reality area, um, but still being able to click on different things in that space and learn about them. It's, it's really cool. The kids like it. And it's, it's for sure more than just a, a gimmicky thing. ThingLink's been around for a long time. I think it's got a big place out there. And I don't really know of anything else that does it as well and as nicely as ThingLink does. You can mimic it with Google Slides where you, you sort of drop a picture into a Google Slide and then by putting transparent images on top of that picture and you can link those transparent images to other things you can kind of get the same feel. And there's definitely times where I like that more. It's a little bit more personalized, uh, personalizable. Personalizable? Am I saying that the right way? Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll roll with that. I'm gonna go with that one. But um, you know, there's a, a time and a place for doing it in Google Slides as well. Um, and then our favorite tool for so many things, Canva recently enabled this, right? Do you wanna tell everybody about that one? Yeah, so Canva, they have this template called the Website Biolink. So you could add a picture there and you could add some hyperlinks uh, underneath that and then you can embed it into a, another file or into a website or something like that. So, I mean, it's interactive. Uh, Canva is not really known for allowing us to put multiple links on each uh, image that we make. So I, I think this is the start of something new with the website BioLink uh, there. I'm pretty excited for this feature. And I will tell you, as far as ThingLink goes, uh, which you mentioned a couple tools ago, ThingLink is one of my best friends when it comes to making escape rooms because of the functionality of it. You can add video, you can add text, you can add a whole bunch of different things to these icons that will appear. So it makes it very, very friendly for those escape the rooms. That's a, yeah, that's an important point. And that, you know, if you are doing that and maybe using Google Slides for it too, you wanna make sure to use that uh, publish to web feature of Google Slides. It kind of gives, I think, the best experience of actually using it. 
if you've never seen Publish to Web for Slides, you'll, you'll see what I mean. I think it's under the File menu, um, but it just sort of pulls up the Google Slide page, but it doesn't look like you're in Google Slides. It just kind of puts it like on, within the frame of a, a tab in your Chrome browser, and it lets you really navigate nicely and cleanly. Uh, so that's sort of another little tip there for orchestrating that. So for our next one, we went over this with gamification because it does fit in there. We're going to mention them again, uh, but we that's probably what we'll, we'll just leave it at that. You could go back to episode 97, the gamification one, to check out some of our choice boards. Uh, first of all, when we build a choice board, we consider something that we kind of came up and coined this, this whole logic of, of thinking and applying this to the classroom but it's called targeted learning. And uh, targeted learning is, if you think of a target, there's many rings around it. Uh, and the bullseye is always our target, which is our standard or competency that we wanna accomplish. And the little rings around that, as you go out, those are the things that we need to accomplish in order for them to retain that knowledge. So the larger ring would be the introduction, the research behind it, getting them familiar with the content. And the rings, as you go towards the bullseye, those are your formative assessments uh, that try to shape the way a student thinks. And then finally, how are we gonna know if they understood the, the competency or they, they mastered it or completed it sufficiently? Well, that's your, form, or that's your summative assessment. So whether that's a standardized test or e-portfolio, presentation, whatever it may be. So, when we think of our choice boards, that's how we go. Our base level, so if we have a tic-tac-toe board, our first level of uh, activities for the first three boxes is how do students get that information? Then the next level up is the formative assessment, and then the top level is the summative assessment. We have tic-tac-toe board, you have a learning menu, so the appetizers, the knowledge, the baseline knowledge. The main course is how they're working with that to, to come up with their own idea of the content. And then the dessert is just proving that they, they mastered it. And then we also have a choice board pyramid. Uh, same thing, base, base portion of the pyramid is getting the knowledge, the middle is the formative, the top is the summative. One thing I want to try in the next couple of years is building an entire, I don't know, unit of study only with learning menus. So maybe, you know, when, when I teach about chemical bonding, the chemical bonding unit is, I could probably boil it down to like five different learning menus. And from each of those five, they pick different things to sort of warm up and sort of like prime their brains to get into that topic. And then maybe the main course is they have to actually produce something, some content creation stuff along the way. And then the dessert is maybe a some type of presentation or, or sharing with me what they know somehow. There's a lot of kinks to work out there, but I think that'll be really cool. I think what you should do is five different types of choice boards. And I think the last one should be the targeted learning choice board and if they master the content, they should be able to fire a real arrow at a target. <laughs> Man, that would be cool. Five different choice boards is a ton of work. You're gonna make, how many of them are you gonna make for me? Uh, I'll make the template of each one. We have the templates. That's true, yeah. 
All you got to do is add your, your secret flavors there. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. But, you know, the, the theme being, again, change it up and, and give the students as much choice as possible. Again, that hits so many blended learning, you know, so many parts of that definition. I think that'd be really cool. Um, next up, we've got digital lessons and videos. It's kind of a strange subgrouping. Really, I just couldn't think of a, a better term to describe these tools that are going out there and getting content for you, but then packaging it in a certain way. So maybe, I don't know, there might be a better way to describe this, but some of these uh, are, are really cool. The first one I'll share is called Class Hook. And I've got a bit of a story with this one, so I don't know if you guys are this way, but when I'm watching movies or TV or li even listening to podcasts, I'm constantly picking up on things that I could share with my students or should share it's just little interesting tidbits like oh that's cool i never knew i never knew that i should show my class that when we're learning about x or a y or whatever it is sometimes i remember it and i bring that stuff in sometimes i don't um one thing that i always bring in is from the tv show breaking bad there's a scene where they have a, a dead body jesse and walt the two main characters have a dead body and they try to dispose of it with some hydrofluoric acid it's just a very reactive chemical and you know, the idea being the acid eats away the entire body, so there's no more evidence. Fine. Um, it's a super interesting scene, it's really gross, and if you show this in class, which I do, uh, the kids, they get, all, you know, they get all into it. Some of them have seen Breaking Bad on Netflix, so they get excited about that. If they haven't, it's just interesting to watch because they're in school and they're watching this show where there's two you know, two meth dealers who are trying to dispose of a dead body. It's interesting. But then buried in that is this chemistry uh, that they sort of can't help but think about of hydrofluoric acid and it being reactive enough to dissolve a body. And would that work? Is it even possible? Does it make sense? And then after watching the clip, I can pose the question, is that possible? And then you can give them facts, like HF is actually called a weak acid, which makes it seem like it shouldn't be able to do that, right? The word weak is kind of confusing there. We're watching it decompose an entire body, and yet it's called a weak acid. There's just so many things that can flow from bringing in uh, really what I guess is pop culture, and that's what Class Hook does. So Class Hook has gone out and found these clips for you. So you don't have to notice them and find them and save them. And a lot of them are copyright protected, so that's maybe even tough to do. Uh, so that's what they do, right? They teach with movies, that's sort of their little tagline, so they can help increase your student engagement by bringing in curated content, literally from TV shows and movies. And, and to me, that's just awesome. They have, you know, their biggest collection is science. They have over 1,800 science videos, but 800 plus math videos, 800 plus history videos, 700 plus English videos, business, health, SEL, even they call it ethics, which is a, a variety of different things centered around, you know, do you agree or disagree type stuff. But it's just a really great place to go get some videos outside of the norm. And as their name says, what an awesome hook to start off a lesson. We've also got uh, the Juice News and Newzella listed here. Uh, they're very similar. They take news articles and condense them and present them in a very educational way. Uh, the Juice News is maybe one of my newer favorites. Uh, there's so many things you can do with it. So if you find an article on the Juice News, you can share it with your kids. They can read it. 
at a variety of reading levels. I think four different reading levels. They, you can uh, quiz them on it with quizzes that are already made for that reading. Vocabulary builders for complex words, and they integrate with a lot of the typical uh, learning management systems that are out there too. So I would encourage everybody to go check that out if this is something that you do or something you at least want to do. The Juice News is a great way to bring in news articles to your class. Yeah, so ClassHook and the Juice News are part of our our newest uh, EdTech project, which is myedtechbundle.com. So if you want to go ex try extended trials on those, head over to myedtechbundle.com and check out ClassHook and the Juice News. Our last topic for today within this blended learning uh, strategy list that we have is feedback. And we'll go through these pretty quick. Once again, feedback comes up very often on this podcast. I am a strong believer in quick or immediate feedback uh, that is meaningful to your students. Um, and I'm gonna list the, the three right now. And Nick, if you wanna pick one that you wanna talk about, uh, feel free. Uh, the three that I think make our top three here is Moat, Floop, and Peer Grade. Yeah, uh, three awesome ones. And I know my favorite right now, and that's, that's so tough, my one favorite. So, okay, my actual favorite is Floop just because it's so great uh, doing uh, feedback in like sciencey math ways, which is a lot of what I do. Um, students are submitting pictures of handwritten work, so for me, as much as I digitize things, a lot of my stuff as a chem teacher is going to be handwritten. And you can say that for math teachers and probably lots of other subject areas too. With Floop, they, with an app, submit pictures in like real time. So it's very fast, very easy. No, you know, upload the picture into Google Drive or email it to yourself. It's all done right there. And then I can just drag and drop comments on that work that they then see in real time on the app. It's really awesome. So that's like my favorite as a chemistry teacher. I have to also just say I really like peer grade because of what it does. You know, peer feedback is really hard. Let me back up. Quality peer feedback is really hard. And with peer grade, it kind of helps to facilitate your students giving feedback to each other, which is just a tough thing to do well. So my choice is Floop, but I, I wanted to get peer grade in there too. Yeah, they're all great tools. Uh, if you're working in the Google environment, I would say Moat is probably the, the, the one that is most connected to that. But Floop and peer grade, you can't go wrong with those. I, I don't think they're your favorite. I just think that one has a, they all have different uses, which makes them shine. Right. Uh, they're all three on this list out of the hundreds and hundreds of uh, feedback tools out there. Yeah, also all three. If, if you do want to try them out, you can head to myatechbundle.com, like guys just mentioned with the juice and class hook, so you can get some extended uh, trials of those things to see if you like them before you commit uh, for your real class. think that wraps it up for this episode on blended learning tons of great tech tools in there we hope tons of great information and examples in there we also hope if you could just do us some favors everybody subscribe to got tech the podcast if you like us 
uh, Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that, but you can also do the same on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or any other place you get your podcasts. I think we're pushed out pretty much everywhere these days. If you're a Twitter fan, you can follow us there. I'm at Nick Got Teched, or Eric is at Geist Got Teched, or the show at We Got Teched. Um, we also have a lot of stuff on YouTube as well, so you can just search for We Got Teched on YouTube. If you really like the show, a Apple Podcast review is even better. You could throw one of those out there. And of course, head to gottech.com where we have all kinds of free stuff and articles and templates and really everything that we do and talk about, we try to include on the website. That includes show notes for each of our episodes. You can also listen to us straight from our website as well. And that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.